Iowa everywhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Heartland Flags and Gifts presents Legends and Listeners with Scott Docterman and Chad Leistico. Fly them high and fly them proud. Find your flag at heartlandflags.com. Breaking down the Big Ten from the Channel Seat Studios, this is Iowa Everywhere. Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, and Iowans everywhere. We have made it to episode 25 of legends and listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Thanks to Chris Williams, uh, everybody at uh, Iowa Everywhere for having us on for 25 episodes. Maybe we'll make it to 25 more, maybe 100 someday. We'll see. We are live from the Channel Seed Studios, and it's a big number 25 as the long-awaited offensive coordinator hire and announcement are in. Chad Leistico here of the Des Moines Register, joined by Scott Docterman of The Athletic. This is our first show together, Scott, since Tim Lester's hiring broke on Sunday, was officially announced with salary, et cetera, on Wednesday. Your initial thoughts? I like to hire the more I looked at it. I think there's the initial disappointment that everybody feels. It's kind of like Christmas. You get everything you want, and then you're still disappointed because Christmas is over and the anticipation's over. And now what are you going to look forward to? But I think in this case, um, when the closer you look at not just the statistics, but the style that he can, that he plays and, and runs plays with, I think overall it's um, it's something that can work within Iowa's foundation. And, and I'm not sure that some of, you know, maybe Kevin Johns, I don't know this to be specific, but, you know, he may not have been the type of person that could have been able to do that. Whereas when you look at, uh, at Tim Lester and, you know, his pedigree where he's been, I think he'll do everything in his power to make sure it does work within what Iowa likes to do. And uh, there's going to have to be some tweaks. Absolutely. But overall, the more I look at it, the more I, I come to the conclusion that this is a pretty good hire for Iowa. Well, how we, Scott and I, kind of constructed today's show is to kind of talk through, we're going to start by talking through the process of the hire and thoughts as a whole. Then we'll dive into some potential X's and O's uh, for the Tim Lester era, which is going to be a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to that part of the conversation with you, Scott. And uh, we also will talk a little bit wide receivers coach uh, a little bit later as well. Uh, and we've, I've got a little women's basketball tucked away at the end, so uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, yeah, I, I've we've had uh, we've had a couple podcasts already at Hawk Central, and uh, I know uh, you know a lot of people think I'm like anti Tim Lester. I think if you actually read my work, I'm not against the uh, Tim Lester itself uh, as offensive coordinator. Uh, my column in the aftermath and even the tweet you know, kind of talked about the positives and the negatives as I saw it from the hire. Obviously, Kirk Ferentz chose him for a reason at the end of this process. But I guess the if you want to get into, you know, question marks here, and we can discuss this, is was, you know, as you reach the end of the process, was Tim Lester the absolute best guy you could have hired 
for 1.1 million this year, 1.3 million next year. Maybe he was. Uh, we're going to get into that uh, a little bit more later. But uh, you know, there there are some kind of cool possibilities about a Tim Lester era and what he can bring to the table. But my point being, we are we have to like look at certain stuff and just project because we don't know. We have no real idea what a Tim Lester offense will look like. His track record. Uh, as a play caller is not good, uh, especially in the power five. And uh, I did think, you know, I guess let's, I'm going to wait on some Kevin Johns comparisons uh, if we need to. But I guess as I looked at the final two candidates, um, I thought, I thought Johns's track record, et cetera, was better. And with Lester, we do have to project. And I think that's where Kirk Ferentz probably landed, right? Scott, he's, he landed on, what can fit for us? What works for us? And he's not looking at the resumes necessarily, even though he literally said, like, you know, uh, I look at wins per game and Tim Lester's wins per game as a play caller is uh, certainly sub 500, uh, 5 and 14 on the power five level. So um, if you're going to make somebody the highest paid offensive coordinator in Iowa history by 25 percent, I guess I, I just wanted to feel a little bit better about the process. Uh, and not feel like Kirk Ferentz maybe frittered away, I don't know, six to ten weeks after Brian Ferentz was dismissed. That's kind of – if you're ending up with Tim Lester and Kevin Johns as your two finalists, is my point being, like, did you really thoroughly go through the process the best you could? Well, there's a lot to work with there, Chad. Uh, let's let's uh, start with the process, the length of time. I think the length of time is something that anybody can – either disagree with or take shots at. And that's fair. I think once the regular season concluded that there, that the month of December should have been spent thoroughly investigating the, the possibilities for this position. And that includes other sitting uh, offensive coordinators um, and those that are available. Um, to me, I think that would have been the right time. So you could have had somebody in place within a couple of days of the, of the bowl game. Cause it, it, remember Chad, that we weren't hundred percent sure that, uh, that Brian Ferentz was going to be coached in the bowl game. And, and that's one thing that Kirk Ferentz said that he's got to start thinking about him. Well, I think Kirk likes to carpentalize everything um, where it's like, okay, we're going to worry about the season. And then we're going to worry about uh, getting ready for the bowl game, the, the, and recruiting, and then all about the bowl game, and then after the bowl game, we'll start worrying about this. Well, that's not the way it really goes here. You you really got to start backing things up, you know, and, and adapting. And I don't think he necessarily did. Now, when you start to compare some of the people, I mean, we were both, I would say, pro Paul Christ, and that didn't work out. And whether he was just all in on Paul and you know, disappointed with the results, or he was more of a, this is my guy, but we'll see what happens. You know, we, we don't know, and he's not going to admit it anyway. But I think when you get to this juncture late in this, the process, and this is where I maybe have come, come around on this, is that I'm not going to judge um, Tim Lester on the, the disaster that was Syracuse 
for multiple reasons. That was 10 plus years ago. Syracuse was among, if not the worst power five program at that point. And he had to jump in midway through a season where uh, the offensive coordinator was clearly over his head and they just moved him over. And he's just being removed simply from being a, what a division three coach. So it's like, Oh yeah, by the way, we need you to jump over and do this. Uh, you know, he, he did, do some decent things with Purdue with David Blau, but then he also had a coaching change in midway through that season too with Daryl Bevel. In fact, right after the Iowa game that year, uh, Daryl was uh, Daryl Hazel. Hazel. Hazel, yeah, sorry, Hazel Bevel. You know they, these names get mixed up. I Bevel could have made an OC candidate. Yeah, I'm, that, kidding. That, I'm kidding. Uh, Wisconsin era, but uh, you know, just don't uh, throw the ball on the goal line, which wouldn't be a problem. But anyway, I digress. Thanks for the correction on that. Um, but then you get to the Western Michigan tenure and you start to look at the statistics there and you think, wow, uh, four years of 35, ranked 35th in the country or higher, three years of 25th or higher, two in the top 20. Um, but that, again, is in Maction, you know, and we know that there's a reason why it's called Maction. It's not because it's seven to three at the end of three quarters. Um, so, <laughs> you know, how much of it was him? How much of it was um, the, the, the conference? You know, they, they, they it's so it's hard to really project and predict. I mean, but one thing I will say about this is that Iowa finally has a quarterbacks coach who played quarterback in a recent era. And Tim Lester, you know, played professionally. He was a record setting quarterback in the Mac, uh, you know, a school that a year after he left beat Iowa. Um, so I, I guess I'm happy about that that you've got a quarterback who played quarterback who's going to be calling plays and also working with quarterbacks. Um, but I think everything is fair game. But there's a lot of analysis here, and it's probably too early to just go on a rampage against him because, you know, we, we need to wait till at least kids' day before everybody can complain for legitimate sake. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you said that really well because, uh, yeah, we're not – I had more problem with the the process and you, you articulated really well. Like I just didn't understand, you know, we talked to him December 17th, 18th, whatever that was in the bubble or the bubble, you know what I mean? The facility. Yeah. And uh, you know, he's like, yeah, I've made three phone calls. And, yeah. but from here on out, I'm going to focus on the game that we lose 35, nothing. And then, you know, you get to, you get to Orlando and it's like, yeah, we'll have someone in place by the second or third week of January. Yes. That's the Paul Chris stuff that fell through, but it's like, yeah. man, like even with Paul Chris though, and Joe and the Joe Philbin talk, it was mm -hmm. like two guys that were analysts slash available. Like how much effort was done to poke around at sitting offensive coordinators at group of five schools or whatever, or even other power five schools potentially, um, it just didn't, I, we may never know. We probably won't know, but it, he, through his own words, he only made three phone calls and had a fourth scheduled, uh, in the month of December. And then he later clarified and says, don't weren't, those weren't interviews. Those were just yeah. calls. And so, um, you know, other guys are getting snapped up. I mean, Northwestern's hiring the SDSU, uh, offensive mm -hmm. coordinator and not saying he would be better, but it's like you ended up with two guys that with the, are not employed for a reason. <laughs> and, right. uh, you know, at best, Tim Lester would have been the, the Troy offensive coordinator. So, again, he may be the best hire ever. He may be the future head coach of the Hawkeyes after he takes this offense to 30 points per game. But uh, at this point, just don't know. And uh, that's kind of where uh, I wish that there was better process 
in the whole deal. That's and I, I'm I'm repeating myself at this point. So uh, let's get into uh, uh, a little bit of a sponsor read here. Whether you're a Hawkeye fan. Uh, supporting George Kittle or a Cyclone fan supporting Brock Purdy, you might be rooting for the 49ers in next week's Super Bowl. Or maybe you're Caitlin Clark and Molly Davis and rooting for the Chiefs. Uh, either way, now's a great time to pick up a flag, especially with this nice weather outside, and fly it proudly. And we have just the place for you, Heartland Flags and Gifts, which offers free shipping anywhere in the U.S. and always has new products, nearly every sport, every team, every flag. Visit our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in-store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street, in Des Moines. Scott, I went on a little bit of a tear there again. I'm going to get out of the uh, process part of it now. Uh, what do you want to talk about next in terms of this OC? Yeah, the reason why I, we maybe we started a, a minute late was because I, I was trying to go through uh, all of the groupings that Iowa had over this last year and uh, kind of compared them to what uh, Tim Lester has done recently, at least at uh, Western Michigan, you know, and he's, he's a year removed from that. But but this year, Iowa used at least two tight ends on 53% of its plays. And, uh, of course, the, the dominant one, you know, the two dominant groupings this year were 12, which is two tight ends, two receivers, one back, and 11, which is three receivers, one uh, tight end, and one back. That and So that kind of, in some ways, gives us a blueprint for this is how Iowa is going to do things. Because when you have Luke Lachey, you're not taking him off the field. If you are, you shouldn't be the head coach or the offensive coordinator of this team. Um, so, but then you look at what um, Tim Lester has done over his last over his last two years. Eighty six percent of his plays featured three wide receivers on the field, eleven personnel. And so, how are they going to marry? two tight ends with three wide receivers and probably bridge that gap down to maybe where it's um, instead of 53% of your plays are with two tight ends. Granted, you had Eric all for half the year. You had Lucas Shea, unfortunately for only a couple of games, but if you would have, you know, is that going to be more of a 60 40 type of uh, scenario? And if so, how do you make that happen and make it work for everybody? And among the things that I watched and I've really enjoyed seeing what he does is, is his RPO game. And this isn't necessarily zone read with the quarterback taken off. This is just how they're able to move the tight ends when they're more in the H-back pers pers uh, personnel and how they're able to move. And it's really, it, it marries a lot of the elements that Iowa should have been having with what works with this personnel. And that's what kind of got me started to think, okay, I like the way he teaches this. He's going to have to be a little bit more in line with his tight ends, at least one of them. That's just the way Iowa works. But I like the fact that he's using them as, uh, as wham blockers, as, as also pass routes, you know, that, you know, go in motion, uh, run, you know, play, run play option. And then, you know, up the field. So that's going to be really fascinating to me how that gets married. Um, right. So, Does he do it though? That's the question. Do they let him even do the RPOs? I like, I like that. This part about Tim Lester intrigues me a lot, but will Kirk let him do that much RPO? I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I kind of do. I, I, I mean, because they went out of shotgun a lot last year. I mean, I think people seem to think that all Iowa does is run the ball up the middle and that's it. And then, then 
freak out and pass on third down and punt, but it's not true. It's just not very successful, so it makes it look that way. Um, they were in shotgun almost half of their plays. I would I don't have the exact number, unfortunately, but I can get it. You know, half hour after the show. <laughs> but the um, but the fact is that they were in in that a lot. That's kind of what they ran a lot with with Cade McNamara early in the year because of his quad strain. He couldn't he couldn't push off of his leg as much. So and so they did run a lot of uh, zone and or I mean they ran a lot of uh, out of shotgun and there were a lot of counters out of that. You can run a lot of counters with your tight ends. We even see it. In the NFL, I've seen it a lot, of course, with George Kittle and Sam Laporta has done a ton of that this year. So, yeah, I do think Kirk Ferentz is willing to do that. It, it's just, will he be willing to go for receivers very often? I don't think so. And I don't think they should. You know, I think that's for Iowa. That's not a, a, a philosophy that works. Three, yes. Four, no. Um, so, I don't know. Um, am, am I seeing too much here chad or or should the debbie downer of scott come back and say come on they're not going to do anything different well uh this is where i'm most optimistic about the tim lester hire well two things the two things i'm most optimistic about are the quarterback's specialty because that was sorely missing under brian ferentz And even if John Budmeyer, you know, John Meyer Budmeyer was obviously hired to help out Brian on the quarterback's front, he still couldn't coach, you know, those guys super directly and have the impact he probably wanted to have. So Iowa really hasn't had a quarterback's coach in the last several years. Um, and yeah. you could you could debate that, you know, especially going back to the Nate Stanley quotes about Ken O'Keefe, well, we didn't really work on fundamentals much, you know, that they really didn't teach quarterback play much they taught offense they didn't teach quarterback play as much they taught you know they taught reading defenses which is a huge part of it yeah you know absolutely essential but i love that part so i'm glad you mentioned that i do and i i was in my column too um but the rpos does that gives me excitement about what is possible because uh more numbers that i put in my column and i'm happy to read some of them here for those that didn't read it in 2019 at West at Western Michigan, uh, they rushed for 5.3 yards per carry, Scott, on 503 attempts that year. So they ran the ball. I mean, Iowa would kill for 4.3 yards per mm-hmm. carry. Um, so again, Maxion, total asterisk there, um, but that shows a guy that is willing to run the ball and. 2021 is where I think I point to the most at what Kirk Ferentz can can lean on in terms of what is possible for this Iowa offense. So 2021, they averaged 214 rushing yards per game. That was Western Michigan's best year under Lester, eight and five. They finished, uh, I believe, was that the year they finished 12th in the country offensively? Yes, 467.8 yards per game. And then they also threw for 253.7 that year. So that's the balance that you want. And the the best part of that season, Scott, was the time of possession, 35-18 per game, fourth in the country for Western Michigan. 
you know, this is, you know, Tim Lester's the head coach, but it was an offense that he constructed. Uh, he, uh, he definitely took some elements from P.J. Fleck, his predecessor there, to to have that RPO game that we saw and have covered, you know, with, with Tanner Morgan and uh, Mo Ibrahim. And, you know, he had a lot better receivers yeah. in Minnesota than Iowa does, but still – uh, I just like the I like the idea of you give the quarterback the run pass option, not for him to run, but you hold the ball there as long as possible. And if they're crashing down, pull it back, slant over the middle, easy completions. How many times have we seen such difficult routes and processes just to gain four yards or six yards over the middle? Uh, it just seems like, at least with Lester – you see evidence of some maybe easy completions, you know, move the sticks, mm-hmm. chew the clock. I mean, gosh, Iowa, if, if their uh, defense hadn't been so good, their time of possession would have been horrible mm-hmm. the last several years. So if you can, if you can increase your time of possession, just think how much better your defense can be. So that intrigues me a lot. There, yeah, exactly, and that's some of it. Is you need to get some easy completions to, for confidence' sake, if nothing else. I mean, you need your quarterback to feel like, okay, we're moving the ball. You need the receivers to feel like, okay, I'm getting the ball in my hands. I'm getting, I'm able to do something with it. And when you start to to, to drive that way, whether it is run pass option and you're running a couple of times and you pass a couple of times and you go from your 25 inside their territory, then you feel like you have your full arsenal ahead of you that yes, now you can pull it back and then go deep, take a deep shot or just keep hammering them. I mean, so if you can do that and a lot of that is success on first down, which other than Iowa's first series is, has been abysmal. And then the second quarter and third quarters of Iowa last year especially but last two years have been nothing short of a of a desert you know without water i mean it's just been horrible and and so i think in this case i really like what he can do and 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 the good part is when you do have tight ends you know and i think addison ostranga is going to be pretty good as well and i i like the uh the uh you know zach ortworth got in and he played some I, I think Gavin Hoffman's going to be really good uh, but specifically Luke Lachey I think now when you have a tight end like that you can pull the ball back and then you can hit the seam once in a while and if that safety comes up you, they're dead touchdown and and it also and this is probably the uh, the other side of what this really needs to happen is gets the receivers involved. I mean, when you have Sky Moore who had 96 catches, I mean, he was a low-level guy. He was going to be a DB when he went there. And then they flip him over to offense and he turns into a second-round draft pick. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. He recruited Jaden Reed, who went to, you know, ended up transferring away and then went up, you know, now he's in Green Bay and he played really well this year as well. Great punt returner. And when you look at those two in particular and then you look at Caleb Brown, and you think, yeah, Caleb Brown kind of fits that, except he's, he had a much better pedigree. So if you can get Caleb Brown involved the way you did Sky Moore, the way Jaden Reed was used early there, but also at, at Michigan State now with the Green Bay Packers, which he was at this last year, I think overall, um, then you're looking at, all right, now you got pieces. Now you can play. Now you can move. And it's just a matter of can the trigger man get him the ball. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, definitely. I So I want to pose this to you, Scott, and now we're really getting into pie in the sky here and projecting. But, you know, as we're watching, I just can't imagine Kirk Ferentz like watching like the San Francisco 49ers and thinking, gosh, that could work for us. You know, you basically they run the same five guys basically all the time and it's two tight ends. If you I, I mean, I count Kyle, you check as like a H back mm-hmm. tight end mm-hmm. in the backfield. So. Uh, obviously they have an elite running back in Christian McCaffrey, but, and then to me, could Caleb Brown be that Debo Samuel type, or even could you make, you know, a Terrell Washington, somebody like that? I, I, let's say Caleb Brown, uh, the Debo Samuel type. And then you have the Brandon Ayuk. Mm-hmm. You got to identify your ex receiver, whoever that is. Maybe that's, you know, uh, Jared Bowie, maybe, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Could be somebody. Um, uh, Give somebody a shot at it. Yeah, right. Jacob Bostic, you know, somebody, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that or transfer, mm-hmm. right? So anybody. could could you, you know, Lachey playing your Kittle role as the your explosive tight end, maybe Ostranga as playing like your lineup in the backfield a lot, second tight end. Um, you know, we saw you see in Lester's formations, he's got two backs back there. You know, one mm-hmm. a lot of times is blocking, another getting the handoff and and could you have a run pass receiver back there? Like, uh, and Iowa's got plenty of, I'm sorry, running back. Uh, Iowa has plenty of running backs, right? They don't have to have one guy in that spot. You could have a leash on Williams. You could have a, uh, you know, Caleb Johnson. You can have Jazzy and Patterson. I mean, he can block. Um, you could have one of these incoming freshmen, Brevin Dahl, I've, you know, point him out. He's a run pass guy. Um, I don't know. I feel like the way Tim Lester operates, he could maybe make that per, those he's, he runs 20 personnel. He runs 21 personnel. He runs, you know, can he run 22? That's basically, um, you know, the, the Niners basically run 12 or 21, yeah. depending how you look at it. Right. I don't know. Right. I'm just wondering if that type of offense can work for Iowa. I feel like it can. For sure. Because what you're suggesting is, does Iowa have interchangeable parts? And they do, um, you know, I, Luke Lachey is your t- your inline tight end, and maybe you play him wide. Maybe you play him at X once in a while, but but you know, and, and get those one on one matchups. And maybe this time, this time they decide let's attack with one on one guys like this instead of what they didn't do with Noah Fant, DJ Hawkinson, and you know, and they tried to do a little bit with the Samuel Porter, but they had nobody else uh, on offense that was able to, to do anything, which they did back way back when. Uh, but I think in this situation that you've got interchangeable parts that can Caleb Brown, as you said, be your version of, of, uh, you know, of Debo Samuel could, um, t- you know, TJ Washington be your version of Brandon Ayuk, or can they both be, you know, because Ayuk is, was, all over the place at Arizona state. I mean, he playing, he was, you know, returner, he's, he's developed into a really good receiver as well. I think when you throw on Seth Anderson, can he make that move? I think it's just one of the things that I really 
wish Iowa would have done more is just constant movement. You know, like sometimes they would jet sweep a lot, and just the movement alone forced and created doubt at the second level. And then you can you can do things off that. Now, if you use, you know, a lot of that movement and an RPO game to go along with it, with the ability to not only stretch the field but but also widen it. You know, and I think that's one thing I was also impressed with with what I saw with Tim Lester is, and it's not again Western Michigan versus whatever competition in the MAC. I'm not interested in that. I mean, who cares? But what I'm interested in is what happened after the snap and how do the routes get constructed? And I saw people out of the backfield getting wide, getting out in routes. Um, that's one of the things that's been most perplexing with me with Iowa after a million years ago covering the Chiefs where they were a screen team with Priest Holmes getting behind and, and they were a move team up front. So they were able to get movement and then, you know, great running backs out in space. And Iowa's never really done that. Can he do that? You know, whether it's behind a line or just out in the flat. And I see a lot of potential there and, and I see a lot of uses out of these players. Now, you know, we can look at the, the depth chart chat and know there's not going to be some of those pieces come um, fall that just a couple are going to say, yeah, I think I'm not going to play very much. So move on. But I am encouraged by what I, what I've seen. And now I just want to see how does it marry with the foundation, which I think is, is still in place. And then ultimately how much control does Kirk Ferentz give him in making the adjustments he needs to make? Well, and I think that's the the question I want to ask you next is like, yeah, what I guess we talked about it a little bit, but what does Kirk Ferentz allow? Like what, how, you know, how much does he just kind of put his foot down and say, you know, that's just a little too risky. We got to dial it back a little bit, whatever. Uh, I just, that's where I just keep coming back to, man, I, you know, a lot of people out there are starting to come around, like starting to almost attack us. Like, Hey, give Kirk Ferentz a chance. He, you know, you know, we love KF, whatever. I know some aren't, but it's like, yeah. But have you seen like his offensive hires since 2012, starting with Greg Davis? I mean, mm -hmm. it's not a go through the names. The, the track record is not outstanding uh, in, in terms of what Kirk, you know, the, the hires Kirk Ferentz has made on offense. So, uh, this, how much will he get out of the way? I guess that's my question. Yeah, that's that's the the biggest question of all, and and I think it ultimately comes down to is how much does he trust his offensive coordinator and staff to make to do the play the way that they need to play to win football games? And I think, you know, a lot of it's going to help him. It's going it's going to be on the trigger man because if C.J. Beathard's back there, you trust him a lot because he makes plays and sometimes you're like, no, no, no. Oh yeah. All right. You know, <laughs> um, Nate Stanley, not as much because he couldn't run, you know, he had a huge arm, but a lot of times he processed things just a little bit too slowly. And that's why he overthrew guys to compensate with his big arm. Um, how much did you trust Spencer Petrus? Not very much. Cause he wasn't real accurate. Brainiac is going to be <laughs> great as a coach, but just, you know, wasn't accurate enough. And then, you know, last year I wouldn't trust anybody, you know, based on what I saw. Can Cade McNamara be the quarterback that they thought he was when, you know, by August? That's going to be the yeah, the $1.1 million question, isn't it, Chad? I mean, you know, <laughs> that well, actually more than that because you want to count Cade's NIL. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, as part of this too, because if it's if it doesn't, then what'd you pay that much money for? But I do think if he can be, he can run RPO, no question in my mind, and he's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Can they progress? Can they continue get, get in a groove? And how much can Tim Lester help him? I think that's ultimately the difference between this team, you know, going to a bowl game and having a success, uh, you know, winning season versus, hey, last couple of weeks they got a crack in Indianapolis, and this isn't just because they got the West Division. This is because it's a pretty freaking good team. Definitely. Uh, dry January is officially over. Today is February 1st, Scott, so I want to raise a glass to our friends at Steeple Ridge Bourbon. Steeple Ridge delivers a high-quality, delicious drinking bourbon. If you don't find Steeple Ridge at your favorite retailer, ask for it by name. Steeple Ridge is distilled, aged, and bottled in Iowa by Lonely Oak Distillery. And, Scott, I know you have an announcement you need to make, too. I do. And uh, the winner for two tickets and a $50 gift card for dinner to Kane Brown's April 18th show at Wells Fargo Arena is Eric Adams. So congratulations, Eric, on winning a $50 gift card for dinner and two tickets to Kane Brown's April 18th show at Wells Fargo Arena. Congratulations. Uh, appreciate that, Scott. Uh, what? So it sounds like we'll talk to Kirk Ferentz and Tim Lester next week. Early next week is what we were told in the email. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think they'll tell us? That's my next question to you. How much, because we're, uh, we'll ask, you know, Hey, what, uh, Hey Tim, well, how much RPO are you going to run? You know, what are they going to say? What do you, th- how much do you think we're going to get a glimpse into anything next week? What's the most we can learn? I think we might be able to get something out of Tim Lester. <laughs> I think he might be able to explain his fo- and share his philosophy a little bit. And, and uh, you know, he's been through this before. I don't think he's going to be super guarded. I, Kirk, as we know, Kirk gets guarded about certain things. You know, when, he, when you're one-on-one with him, he's different. But when you're in, in a press conference and you're asking about certain, you know, it, even players, you'd say, you know, tell me about Jamari Harris, and I'll start telling you about Mark, Micah Hyde, and you know, and it's just like, come on, dude, um, you know. And then likewise with strategy and, and groupings and things like that, he's just he's a little more evasive. So I don't think we'll get a lot of specifics as far as how the offense will change. I'm sure he'll say, I don't micromanage, you know, my staff. I let them do their thing, but uh, you know, that's debatable, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, at the same time, I do give him credit. He is the head coach. And if it's third and two and Brian has five wide called and he's like, uh-uh, no, no, let's run this ball here now. And I can see that, but that's also stuff you discuss on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, not Saturday at, you know, in the third quarter. So, I, I think we'll get something out of Tim. I don't think we'll get a lot out of Kirk about the process. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get a little bit all about the process, but he's like, you know how they do this, Chad. They're going to say he's the only one I offered the job to, you know, you know, and just splice it that way. So it makes everybody sound better than what they are, even though we know that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I would hesitate to, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say uh, Kirk's going to mislead, but, uh, he, you know, he'll probably have some kind of answer to the Paul Chris question, like what happened with Paul Chris. It'll be like, you know, I don't know what he'll say, but it it may maybe something to that effect. Yeah, we, you know, we didn't offer anyone the job. Well, you know, he was given a chance to accept some kind of 
terms mm-hmm. <laughs> at the University of Iowa. I can confidently say that and uh, declined. So uh, mm-hmm. it, obviously Kirk Ferentz is going to tell us what happened. I don't think Paul Chris will ever tell us what happened. Um, so that's where we are. That's where we land with Tim Lester as offensive coordinator. And Scott, uh, they did not announce uh, – they did not announce that he's quarterback's coach yet, right? That has not been announced, no. Okay. I mean, so, I, yeah, go ahead. No, so I was going to say, assuming he is the quarterback's coach, who becomes the wide receiver's coach? We think it's going to be uh, John Budmeyer. So if it is John Budmeyer, Scott, and if you want to say other candidates potentially too, but if it is John Budmeyer, uh, what would you think of that hire? That one, Chad, I hate to say it, but I would be disappointed. And, and I'm not saying that he can't coach wide receivers because, you know, there are so many intricacies that are involved between in the passing game where a, a quarterback can coach that position and do it well. And I have seen it before, um, you know, at a high level. I think, you know, one guy I remember, and this is going way back when, was Al Saunders uh, when he was uh, he was offensive coordinator with the Chiefs. And, and he also coached wide receivers before, too. So, you know, and as well as quarterbacks. So he's. You know, it's it all works together. So it's not just this, you know, negative like, oh, he can't do it. it it's not like Brian going from a offensive line to, to quarterbacks. That's completely different. But this is a position group, Chad, that is, is not even hit zero on the plus 10, minus 10 scale for a long, long, long time. Other than Amir and Brandon late in their careers. I mean, it's been a wasteland. And I would say a lot of that's been a wasteland of development. I mean, when we're talking over a 10-year period from 2012 through 2021, they recruited 24 freshman wide receivers, and only five stayed through the end of their tenure to play for the Hawkeyes, the last one being Nico Ragini. You know, and, and Amir and Brandon were two of them. But dare I say, if they had the option to go to the portal, uh, I don't know that they would have been around. So this is – this is something that needs to improve. Now, yes, was Kelton Copeland part of that problem? Absolutely. Was Brian Ferentz? Yes. Um, Greg Davis, Bobby Kennedy, of course. But you've got to – this is an issue that, you know, foundation, you know, within the foundation and the whole program has to own. If you're going to celebrate your d- tight end development, you've got to own the lack of wide receiver development. And so they need to get better there quickly. Did John Bunmeyer do that? You know what? I would rather have somebody who actually played the position, who relates well to those players, who's done it at a high level. You know, I'm not, you know, somebody, and I'll just throw his name out, like Marvin McNutt, you know, who would die to have that position, by the way. Uh, you know, he coached at Co. Um, you know, he did it high, at a higher level than anybody ever has here. Um, Amir and Brandon went to him a lot of times for workouts. You know, and that's just one person. I don't. I'm not just married to that idea. I just think that you're missing an opportunity to really improve the position and probably recruit for that position as well. I'll take uh, some pluses and minuses here. I'll give a balanced balanced review here. I think the pie in the sky, the the optimist view on this would be Iowa's passing game has to be coordinated so much better. And perhaps if you have a John Budmeyer um, and a Tim Lester working in concert, you've got receivers working off each and the quarterbacks working off each other to implement the concepts you want to do offensively rather than um, 
you know, potentially, you know, whatever the, whatever the dynamic was between Brian and Kelton, I don't think it was a lot of give and take. Let's put it that way. So uh, maybe you get a little bit more of that. I guess that would be my optimistic view on this whole deal. Maybe, you know, I just watched like, uh, we're bringing up the Niners and Chiefs here. So I realize we're way above yeah. Iowa offensive levels. But when you watch like Mahomes and Kelsey, it's just like they're on the same page, even if it's not drawn up specifically, you know, like the Brian Ferentz office was just so specific. Here's the naked boot and here's where the tight end goes. And that's, if it's not open, well, it's going to be a sack or, <laughs> or nothing basically. Um, you know, I would just, it would be nice if there was a little bit more like flexibility in those things, but anyway, so that's the optimistic view, but then, but the pessimistic view is there's a lot, you know, to be concerned about with, with that type of hire. We know Kirk Ferentz respects John Budmeyer, but where have the results been? I mean, the, the la- since the since he's been in the program for two years, quarterback play has been terrible. <laughs> um, it's you know the offense has gotten worse, uh, and it's not even a position he's ever coached. So, uh, and you mentioned it, recruiting. That's I mean, at maybe no more position than wide receiver is recruiting more imperative. You've got to bring mm-hmm. athletes into the program. Um, you know, maybe they can, you know, I know he sold Cade McNamara and coming here. Maybe he's a really, I think he is a pretty good recruiter. So maybe that would be a strength of his, but yeah, there, there, there's certainly some apprehension, uh, from my end. And as another little aside, I mean, the staff in that case gets a little less diverse as well. And that's an area where Kirk has made some progress. Uh, this would be a step backwards in that direction as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a fair point, um, you know, and I'm all for best person gets the job, but this seems to be not one where you can say, yeah, he's the best person for the job. He's just, he's here and, you know, he's liked or something like that. You know I mean? I know that since the end of the season, when it was kind of made known to, to Kelton that he wasn't going to return, that, that Bud Meyer has been kind of running that ship, um, the, the wide receivers ship. Um, how does he handle that going forward? Um, you know, what, what can he do about getting receivers in and out of their breaks and doing things? And, and this is, this is an area that I know it's not unique to Kirk, but sometimes can be a little bit frustrating when you consistently hire people who you think are good coaches for roles that maybe they didn't compete in or play in. Now, you know, I, I know I've asked Kirk that before he goes, well, I played linebacker and I know how to uh, offensive lines, my specialty. And I get that, but you know, but when you're bringing in Tim Polisek, who's a quarterbacks guy, and then all of a sudden he's coaching offensive line, or Abdul Hodge, you want to get him in here, and understandably so, he's he got great potential, but now he's coaching tight ends, and um, they did that quite a bit with guys like Lester Erb back in the day, and and now Bud Meyer, and it's like, well, why don't you get a a wide receiver? The guy who played it at, at this level, who people can relate to. How do you, you know, they want to know, you know, how did you do this? You know, what did you do? It, who did you do against? And that's that's where I think they're missing a little bit. Now, I could be completely wrong, and I'll admit it if I am. If, if he comes back, he comes in, recruits well, gets, um, you know, gets some of these guys to a high level. But, you know, I remember the way – you know, Marvin and DJK and those guys swore by Eric Campbell soup. They still talk about it. And it's like, you want to get a guy who's, who's done it. You're Iowa. <laughs> Go out and get a guy who's done it. And, and maybe 
he John is an analyst, you know, it's football. You can make a way for that to happen, but I, I just, I'm not a, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm less sold on this one, Chad, than sure. I was with, with John Lester. I mean, John Lester. John, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I've said, I've like in my head said yeah. John Lester so many times and I worry yeah. that I'm going to get that in print sometimes. So if I do, you know, that's the Cubs bias in me, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> um, so, okay. This was a tangent. I didn't prepare you for, and I just thought of this, but do you think, uh, where do you think, you know, do, does Kelton Copeland or Brian Ferentz, where do you think they end up after this process? So right now, as we know, as we stand, I don't believe either has been scooped up by anybody, right? Yeah, I'm not aware. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. You know, I, I like them as people. You know, we've gotten to know Brian really well over the years. And, you know, heck, I, I, I covered uh, Kelton when he was a quarterback at Emporia State back in 2000. So, I mean, you know, I, I've known him for a long time and, you know, obviously didn't. I keep touch with him until I got here, but you know, so you hope that they end up doing something well. And, and I think Brian is, is well positioned that whether it's tight ends or offensive line or something along those lines, I think he could be uh, a great hire for someone, you know, with Kelton, I'm not as sure, but you know, you still hope that something works out for him. Um, but I haven't, I have not heard anything, Chad, have you as well? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my point is like, uh, you know, another couple guys off Iowa's offensive staff, not real attractive, at least initially in the job market. So uh, the final NFL head coaching openings have been filled now. We've seen that with the commanders and Seahawks mm -hmm. buttoning things up, I believe, today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, will Brian Ferentz, you know, if Brian Ferentz is going to land in the NFL with a like a full-time assistant job, uh, you know, that you would think that would happen pretty soon as, as staffs are kind of uh, put together, but we'll see. Uh, Scott, let's uh, we've got a few minutes left here. Let's go into women's basketball. Certainly last night, Caitlin Clark uh, stole the show once again in Chicago. Uh, I know our friend Adam Rittenberg was at the game. He was messaging me the other day, like, yeah, I'm going to go to the game. And like, it seemed like from his tweets, like he was like so amazed at like the, mm -hmm. you know, the the celebrity that she has become, which we've seen that develop here in the last year. But um, she's at 35-24 now. Or I'm sorry, 34-24, not 35-24. Yeah. Uh, so 104 points away from passing Kelsey Plum. Uh, that's all um, pretty amazing. This whole story is quite crazy. But I guess where I wanted to go with this, Scott, and I, I know – we're supposed to just talk about Caitlin Clark because she gets all the headlines and buzz, but this team is 20 and two. Lisa Bluter already has a 20 win season intact. This, uh, this Hawkeye team is playing really good basketball could be a, in line for a number one seed for the first time since the late eighties. Uh, yeah. Caitlin is the star, ever, the one everyone wants to see, but I really like how this team is coming together. Hannah Stolke really took a step forward last night. Kate Martin continues to play so well. Gabby Marshall, hitting her threes uh, just like she did starting the second half of last year. So uh, that part of this really excites me, you know, uh, heading into this final stretch where a lot of really big games are coming up and only eight regular season games left, Scott, for Caitlin Clark uh, as a senior at Iowa. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? It's, you know, I mean, she hit 20 wins before February. That's pretty impressive. And at the beginning – and. The beginning of the season, you know, you're wondering how do they feel fill uh, Monica Zanano and uh, McKenna Warnock's positions, and you know, Stolke is filled it in a different way. You know, I mean, whereas she's like a traditional power forward, whereas McKenna was like a stretch four, 
And of course, Zanano was was a you know tremendous scoring center. I think uh, I was interested in knowing how do they how do they adapt their offense? And they decided to go guard heavy. And party immediately recoils and says, Well, that's gonna leave them vulnerable in the post. And what Iowa said is, you guys can't guard us. <laughs> you get into transition with us, you know, you're, nobody's you know, and and Iowa is the best team in the country by far when it comes to getting in transition and running. And there's just no way. I, you know, yeah, I'm very impressed with the way this team has performed because even when it looks like they're struggling, and and you know, in the first quarter last night, or you know, through halftime against Nebraska, and it's like, what's wrong with this team? Then all of a sudden, put it in overdrive. And I think as much as we want to, you know, Caitlin deserves every plaudit in the world on the face of the earth. She's been fantastic. However. I think the the difference, the one who elevates them is, is Kate Martin. I mean, she's really coming to her own as a scorer, but she does so many things well, you know, which is why she gets all the t-shirts. But, you know, I just, I'm very impressed with them as a whole. And, and Gabby Marshall's hitting threes. And then you bring in a, somebody like Kylie Fierbach, who's been a really good piece off the bench and, um, uh, you know, and then whatever they do at center, they do at center. It just depends on the day. But you know, Sharon Goodman sometimes, Addie O'Grady others. But um, but overall, this is uh, this has been an impressive run for them. Yeah, and uh, Lisa Bluter um, probably gets the, should get the most credit. She's allowed Caitlin to be what she can be. She's not made it. She's found a way to not let it become too much of a distraction where it's hurting the team dynamic. I mean, you listen to the, to the Caitlin interview on Peacock last night and it's just like, you know, she loves those girls and they, you know, they love her back. Um, and she is a team player uh, as much as maybe the outside world doesn't want to believe that, but she is. Uh, it's amazing how she, she purpose. It's just so fun to watch her play because she purposefully gets her teammates involved constantly mm-hmm. And uh, at the same time, when she needs to take over, she takes over. And that's where I'm at with this scoring record is like she needs 104 points in three games if she's going to set it on Super Bowl Sunday against Nebraska. I think knowing how Caitlin operates, she's not going to necessarily count every point she scores in her head, but she's pretty close to being able to do that and probably can do that. I would not be surprised if she tries to just space it out enough where she can set that record of Kelsey Plum's at home on February 15th against Michigan. It would be a perfect stage, especially like early in the game, mm-hmm. get it over with, you know, have that moment at home, stop the game. You know, Iowa can do whatever it wants to essentially mm-hmm. in that scenario versus, you know, I mean, it'd be, it'd be great if she, you know, broke the record on a dramatic game-ending three-pointer at Nebraska on February 11th where she's got family in Nebraska and all that stuff. But it'd be on Super Bowl Sunday. It would be kind of yeah. overshadowed just a little bit. Uh, it wouldn't be in front of the home crowd. Um, I don't know. Caitlin's just got such a flair for the dramatic. I feel like she's going to orchestrate it just perfectly, whatever, however it's meant to be, uh, to happen on February 15th. And that's where the – I've noticed Dargan Southern – sent this out. That's where the betting favorite still is that she does yeah. it against Michigan on February 15th. You're right. You know, I mean, she could, you know, score 35 in her sleep the way things are going and, and set it at Nebraska, but why would you want to do it there? I mean, you know, they, they treat her poorly there. Um, you know, although she would, if you're going to score 35 there, you might as well score 60, right. You know, just, just launch. 
But you know what makes sense is Maryland is really struggling, and they're not very. They're, this is not a Maryland team that we're used to. Uh, Penn State is actually much better than they've been, but you know they never come to Iowa and play well. So you know between those two games, if you could hit say fifty-five or sixty, but not like seventy points combined, and then go do whatever you got to do at Nebraska, and then come back and you know, leave some room on the plate because yes, you do not want to do it on Super Bowl Sunday because you do it on Super Bowl Sunday becomes a footnote by the time that kickoff goes. Cause every time we talk about commercials, Patrick Mahomes, Brock Purdy, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift. Oh, and then, Oh, by the way, Caitlin Clark broke the scoring record. Yeah. Give it some time because after that, everybody's looking for something to watch and do. And you know, NBC is going to be going, please God, let's get it done. Peacock. It is you know, a peak, yeah. Michigan is a peacock game, whereas yeah. the Nebraska game is Fox. Big yeah, Fox, exactly. So, so there's a little <laughs> dynamic there too. But. Yeah, I mean, if I was Peacock, you'd almost want to, you know, maybe we should uh, move it to move it over to NBC. You know, I wonder to see what the ratings might be for that. But yeah, that's you. You want to you want to do it in front of your fans at Iowa as much as you can. Now, if it's a, you know coming down to the end of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, then then you got to do what you got to do. But all bets are off at that point. Yeah, yeah. You hope I th- she's she's so good though. She's gonna. I think she's gonna do it just right. It's gonna be yeah. exactly how it's meant to be. Um, which is gonna happen at home. I'm still gonna go with that. It's gonna happen like in the first quarter against Michigan. Okay, February fifteenth. I would hope for it to be a little later. I'd like to see some drama built up, not for us. That you know, I mean, for you, you probably just write like a uh, <laughs> a quick thing. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, I think this is. Uh, I, I want to see it happen that night. I think that'd be great, and um, you know, it's great testament for the sport and for women's basketball to Caitlin Clark to Lisa Bluter, as you said, because Lisa has managed her, and I think that's something that. Um, you know, managers of the New York Yankees, um, Phil Jackson, when you manage superstars and superstar egos, you've got to find a way to do it. So, you know, and, and Lisa said it perfectly last fall when she said, you know, she's a thoroughbred. You don't say woe to a thoroughbred. And and that's kind of, you know, <laughs> I'll go back to even to the Iowa men's game. I thought it was pretty funny when uh you know, Peyton Sanford was on fire and then he just launches one, you know, trying to be Caitlin Clark and it, what air balls or whatever. And, and Fran was just kind of smiling. He's like, you know, maybe that's how you react, but you let you let her go. And uh, so this is, this is as much Lisa's record as it is. Caitlin's. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa Bluter, um, honestly could be big 10 coach of the year again. It probably won't be, but uh, probably, be. Deser- probably deserves it the way she's led this team. Now we're not to the finish line yet as we watch this Iowa team, but uh, it sure feels like they're trending towards, you know, a potential one seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Scott, great show. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad we could talk about no C finally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The OC is done. Our long <laughs> national nightmare is, is over after 90 days. Yeah, you know, from when Brian was let go to finally hiring somebody. Exactly. Uh, and seven fun months ahead uh, before the season opener. So for Scott Docterman, this is Chad Leistico. Uh, good chance we'll be able to talk to you next week about what Tim Lester said, about what Kirk Ferentz said. Thanks for tuning in to Legends and Listeners from the Channel Seed Studios, and we will talk to you next Thursday right here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Iowa Everywhere.